I mean, there's, there's, there's like probably over a hundred checks that we do as analysts to make sure the property stacks up for our clients. But I think in broader terms, a lot of the growth is done at the, the suburban LGA level. So as long as it's hitting those markers, I think you're in a good position. And then from then on, I almost see the rest of it as risk mitigation. So you want to make sure that you're in a position where you, you're going to get optimal growth within the suburbs. So you're not next to main roads, not next to power lines or the rest of it, that sort of business. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Dashdot Insider, the only podcast that you should ever listen to if you want to create a life of freedom, choice, and abundance through property investing. The aim of the game with this show is we want to give you practical tips and advice so you can become a better property investor no matter what is happening in the current market, no matter what is happening in your mind. And on this episode, we talk with Oliver Vernal, who is the current senior property analyst at Dashdot. So he's got a great perspective on what is currently happening in the market. So we dig into that. We talk about that. And he also offers up five practical tips to invest successfully in the current market, no matter where you're coming from or what your current position is. So if you want to know what's going on in the market, and if you want some advice on how to become a better property investor in the current state of play, then this is a great episode for you. And before we get stuck into it, make sure you share this with someone. That would be my one request. It's my only request, actually. It's just share it with someone. Because if you share this with somebody else, it's going to help us spread the podcast. It's going to help us spread the good vibes that we've got and the good information that is in this podcast. And it would mean the world to me. So if you could take your time to share this with someone, just click the share button, all of that kind of stuff. And if you do that, you're still excited and you still want to do some more stuff, then I encourage you to subscribe as well. But without any further ado, let's get stuck right into it. I'll see you on the inside. Welcome back to Dashdot Insider. Joining me on today's episode is Oliver Vernal. Oliver is the new senior property analyst. That's a big title. How are you feeling today, Ollie? Feeling good, mate. Feeling excited to be on the podcast. You feeling senior? Are you feeling like, you know, have you has the um, prestige sunk in yet? Not quite, not quite yet. But no, it's a really exciting move, and um, yeah, super keen to to see what I can do in that in that role. Awesome, loving it. Well, mate, I am very keen to get stuck into a conversation today, talking about like what's going on out in the market at the moment. Now, you, um, as I mentioned, the senior property analyst. That's a new position for you, but you've been working in the team um, diligently for some time now. Uh, in fact, I don't even know how long, but definitely long enough. And you would have analysed thousands of properties in hundreds of locations over the time that you've been in Dashdot. So you're well-equipped to share some insights into what's actually happening on the front line, so to speak. And so the first question I've got for you is, what is happening out there? What can you see that other people might not be able to see? Yeah, it's a good question. I guess there's two two sort of ways to look at that. You've got sort of the macro environment and then the sort of microcosm that, that we operate in here at Dashdot. So I guess in, in terms of macro environments, the interest rates, I think, are taking a little bit of a bite at some of the capital cities and the more affluent suburbs in the capital cities. And that's where you're seeing a little bit of um, sales activity drop off. Where we tend to buy in more of the affordable centers, you're seeing really, really strong interest. You're seeing really low stock as well, which is another um, a factor that's really affecting us and it's pushing growth but you're also seeing really high demand you're seeing a lot of uh, focus on the sort of 300 to 400k range as interest rates sort of push people to chase yields a little bit as well mm, love that so how like what talk talk to me a little bit more about that i mean what do you you said that we're buying in more affordable areas sort of what's the kind of broadly speaking the price range that you're seeing is the most active at the moment um talk to me about how you're seeing things like rental vacancies as well let's go a little bit deeper yeah, sure. So 
I think the hottest range that I'm seeing is the sort of 300 to 400k range. I think that's a real sweet spot for investors. Typically, investors, I think, tend to, well, in my experience anyway, tend to sit in the sort of 250 to 550 purchase price. That's where you can sort of buy your properties and have a solid enough yield to sort of offset a fair bit of your um, your holding costs. But I think the 300 to 400k banner at the moment is really getting a lot of a lot of attention. Why do you think that is? Well, I think it is one. You've got lack of borrowing capacity. So people are getting tightened up by the banks with interest rates. And also in that price range, you tend to get your better yields. So people are chasing those gross yields to try and um, offset some of their borrowing. And so have you actually seen any other opportunities opening up? Because what we're seeing, what you're kind of suggesting there is investors, more broadly speaking, are still trying to chase, how can I get the maximum yield? How can I work within these uh, current critical constraints in my portfolio? Have you started to see some opportunities open up? perhaps where there's lower yields? Is there like less demand in these markets where there's potentially lower yields, but still great growth potential? What have you seen there? 100%. So I think what's really interesting is the affordable centers in like a broad term, you could think of that as like an LGA. Within that LGA, you've got even more affordable suburbs where you tend to find your sort of three hundred to four hundred thousand dollar assets that have the higher yields. That does come with some sort of associated risk as well. Where I think the opportunities are is in those more affordable LGAs, but in the higher socio-demographic areas. I think there's a little bit less demand on those properties as they tend to be pushing that sort of 450, 500 plus price range where people are sort of struggling a little bit in terms of obtaining the borrowing capacity or absorbing the, uh, the holding costs of those. And I think, yeah, I think that's where the opportunities are is a little bit less demand and a little bit more stock as well. What is interesting to me in the current market is that despite you know, a propensity for people to have an opinion that like growth happens in capital cities. What we've seen is capital cities haven't performed typically pretty well, but actually what we've seen is it's not even just the kind of next level down where, you know, there's major hubs like, you know, once upon a time it was Bendigo and all of this kind of stuff. We're actually seeing some really interesting smaller towns, which are providing lots of opportunity for property investors. So what's your take on that? And do you think property investors should be ready, willing, and able to explore some of the smaller towns on that end of the spectrum? And do you think they represent a good long-term opportunity given what you can see in the current market? Yeah, no, I think they do. I think the regional centres outside of the capitals and even beyond, like you were just discussing, the um, there's a lot of opportunities there, particularly places in like northern Queensland and southern Western Australia. I think the like we were talking about with the push to affordable lifestyle, as long as there's the projects and the um i guess the lifestyle within those centers that's the sort of thing you need to be looking for so it's not just piggybacking off the back of a capital city it's got to have its own sort of intrinsic value to live within that that regional center and i think as long as it sort of ticks those boxes there's plenty of growth to be had in those regional centers yeah nice what are some of the things that you're looking for in these on the properties that you're looking at in these different locations? Like, how do you decide if a property is any good? What are some of the things that you look for? I mean, there's there's, there's like probably over a hundred checks that we do as analysts to make sure the property stacks up for our clients. But I think in broader terms, a lot of the growth is done at the the suburban LGA level. So as long as it's hitting those markers, I think you're in a good position. And then from then on, I almost see the rest of it as risk mitigation. So you want to make sure that you're in a position where you, you're you going to get optimal growth within the suburbs. So you're not next to main roads, not next to power lines or the rest of it, that sort of business. But then other than that, yeah, it's just sort of looking for lifestyle and amenities that are close by. And I think it's trying to situate situate yourself in a position that's going to be close to that and achieve optimal growth. Yeah, love it. What are some red flags that if you see when you're looking at a property, you're just like, bah, it's out. Like what's something that would just be like a hard line? No, no pass, no go here. 
there's so many and it's like it's opened my eyes up so much doing this job seeing how many um i guess red flags you can find and if you look at a property hard enough you'll eventually find a red flag there's no such thing as like a perfect property but i think for me looking for major lifestyle detriments like power lines like i mentioned being on, at the back of a main road facing onto a main road even like little things you might not think about like power easements there's sometimes you get like transmission easements out the front of your property that can potentially be off-putting for a bunch of buyers and i guess growth and price is driven by demand so trying to increase the demand pool for any property that you're looking at is going to be the key to getting future growth so from an investor perspective the demand side is really interesting because it also involves renters right so how much does rentability of an asset factor into the decision about whether or not the asset is going to be good or not like how much do you kind of think about that it's definitely a big factor because obviously you need to have the yields to make sure the property's i guess maintaining and it's not it's not going to be a, a cash drain and significantly affect your portfolio but i think you can get caught in the trap of chasing those yields and not paying attention to i guess the fundamentals of the property so obviously at the moment there's such a huge crunch on rental vacancies as there's, there's barely any uh properties to rent in majority of places in Australia, particularly the places that we're buying in. So, you yeah, know, I think that it definitely plays a big part, but I wouldn't want to get caught in the trap of thinking that like, I want to buy this property just because it's going to be really good for renters when you're potentially going to be offsetting a lot of, of growth if you're just focusing on that aspect of things. Yeah, makes sense. In terms of quality of stock on the market at the moment, because I know there's less stock on the market at the moment, generally speaking, have you seen a shift in the quality of what you're seeing out there? Like, is it, is it, are there more fixer-uppers or, you know, should people be expecting to be buying properties that have got higher maintenance costs at the moment? What's your kind of take on that? What have you seen? Yeah, and no, I think generally speaking, the stock that's on the market at the moment tends to have a few a few hairs on it, we like to say. It's got a, got a couple of knocks, but I think that also represents good opportunity because buying a property that has a couple of... Um, a couple of knocks on it gives you a bit of leverage to negotiate but yeah as a general a general sort of view at the moment of the places that we're looking at there tends to be like a little bit of ingoing maintenance or you know an existing lease or something like this that's potentially a little bit off-putting to some of the buyers in the market mm, fascinating talk to me about what you've seen in the rental market as well because i know that there's a there's a rental crisis at the moment so what what kind of commentary have you got on that from what you've seen even vacancy rates or anything in the current areas that we're buying yeah, so the rental market's crazy. Like we're getting some of the places that we're we're getting rental appraisals and exceeding them by you know significant amounts. And that's sort of why I also think I don't put a huge amount of emphasis on looking for places with huge rentability. I guess the demand is so strong that people need places to rent, and they'll rent rent these places even if they're not the most idyllic in terms of what what you're looking for as a renter. But realistically, what you're looking for as a renter is a lot of what you're looking for as an owner-occupier as well. So they kind of go hand in hand, realistically. That's that's an interesting point that you made there. So what you're looking for what you're looking for as a renter is what you're looking for as an owner-occupier. Does that mean that property investors, even though they're specifically not owner-occupiers, should be biasing towards places with owner-occupier appeal? I, I, I say that as a slight agent provocateur because I know that in many cases we bought property. Personally, I have acquired properties on behalf of clients that objectively speaking, you you or me or even the clients would not say, geez, that looks like the kind of place I would like to live. However, they've been exceptional performance for the for the property. So how do you how do you kind of thread that needle between like the owner occupier appeal and parking your emotions and all that kind of stuff versus finding a property that is 
market appropriate. How do you kind of think about that as a relationship between those ideas? It is a tricky one and you've got to sort of check yourself um, quite often and you've got to really check your biases because a lot of the places that you're buying in are different to where you might be living in now or where you want to live in or where you have aspirations to live in. So you've got to really separate out the um, the emotions and the practicality side of things there. So like you mentioned, there's plenty of good deals that can be that can be done with properties that are, you know, sort of fibro shacks in areas that you might not really want to live, but people live in those areas and people need housing in those areas. And that's the, I guess, the, the level of housing in that area. So as, like I've sort of mentioned before, a lot of the heavy lifting is done by the suburbs. So as long as you get those things right on that side of things, making sure you're doing your risk mitigation, but if it's not a place that you particularly really want to live, as long as you're confident that you'll have tenants in there, I think you'll find that it'll be a good investment in the long term. Yeah, I think I think it's really important to kind of highlight the market appropriate angle of it because you're right, it's like it might not be your desired place to live, but it might actually be totally desirable and in line with the with the market demand, um, which might make it totally totally fine and totally amenable. And you can still and if you shut yourself off to opportunities because you're applying your own personal biases in those uh, situations, you can actually, you know, really do yourself a massive disservice. We learned that early on. I remember um, one of the very first clients we ever had, uh, we found them a property and incidentally, they were sort of shooting distance from this property. They could, they were like a few, lived a few hours away from this property. And um, they, you know, like they were like a reasonably well-off couple and, or well, maybe not reasonably well-off, but like they lived in a nice area and they lived in a nice house and, you know, they had all these kind of, it's quite nice and, and then um, this, they went to go and have a look at this property because we found it. And they're like, oh, my God, we're just going to go there. We're just going to suss it out. They were so excited. And then they drove to this suburb. And um, let's just say it wasn't the kind of place that they would want to live. you know. And they were like, and they started freaking out. And they're like, oh, my God, these neighbors. I would never live next to these neighbors. And oh, my God. Did you? And they started freaking out. And uh, subsequently, they didn't end up buying the property. Now- I actually think now that I'm thinking about it, I think Gabby and I ended up buying that property, or because because we were like, this is a screamer, this is awesome, like what the hell? Um, if we didn't buy that property, we definitely bought one like right in that neighbourhood because I, I remember it specifically, and that has been like just this insane, like completely insane performance that these guys missed out on. Now I actually know they actually went and invested somewhere else. They actually chose to put their money somewhere else in an area that actually has not performed, that has actually underperformed broadly speaking the market over the last. Uh, four years. And so as a result of them applying their personal biases in that situation, they actually put themselves in a situation to achieve subpar performance. And so sometimes looking past your own personal biases to look in these situations and go, okay, cool, let's look at what it is in a market appropriate uh, perspective versus my personal situation can actually be a pathway to greater success. Do you think that rings true? 100%. I think you can almost go a step further and say that if if you're in these areas that are you know, potentially more working class. If you are looking for the style of asset that is blue chip in those areas, you might be doing yourself a disservice even further because, like I said before, a lot of the growth is is driven by the demand for the property. And if you're buying a property that's out of reach for, you know, the population that live there, you might not receive the same sort of growth as a property that's in line with the the sort of rest of the market around the area. Yep, totally. How do you, like a lot of people have been freaking out that property prices have been crashing over the last, you know, 18 months or so. What's your take on that? Have you seen property prices crashing anywhere? Have you seen demand dropping off? No, it's it's, it's definitely not what we're seeing at the moment. The de- demand is still as strong as it's been 
for you know since i've been in the property industry and the major issue i think is the supply so the supply is just really dwindling and so there's yeah really 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 strong market forces uh pushing on on property the places we're buying at the moment in terms of i guess supply and demand but also in terms of rentals as well so there's just sort of market forces pushing every direction nice love it okay so what practical advice would you give to someone who's thinking about buying a property in the current market where would you start well, I'd start by saying don't be afraid to pay market value for a property. Um, I think a lot of people get caught in this trap where they think that they're they've not secured a good deal if they buy if they buy a property at what it's listed or a little bit above. They think that they have to negotiate, you know, five or ten grand off every single deal. Um, as long as you sort of assess the value independently, you do your market analysis, you're comfortable with what the value of the property should be. If it's a quality asset in a quality area, there's going to be demand on the property. So if you want to actually obtain the property, you're going to have to pay market value a lot of the time and people might sort of like I said before people might think that they need to negotiate prices down otherwise they're not in a good position but realistically the opportunity cost of losing out on that property is going to be much higher than you know five or ten grand that you can you know take off the top of the deal yeah that's super interesting so do you think that it's not possible to get under market value in the current market or is it just far less uh, likely it's not impossible I think sometimes agents might list the property at a lower amount than what it's potentially worth in you know in my opinion or in you know in investors opinion um so there's chances in in that sense what tends to happen in that area is that you know the market demand does flood that property and you tend to see it go for market value anyway it sort of self self fulfills that prophecy but i don't think it's impossible but it is definitely a lot harder than what it used to be for sure mm, yeah and it's a really good point i've seen a lot of people lose good opportunities because they were trying to split hairs over I mean, I've seen I've seen people lose deals over a thousand dollars. Like they're like, nah, I'm not going to move. You know, it, it's this, and it's like if you could move a thousand dollars, you'd secure the deal, and you know, potentially make hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, it's just it's just mad sometimes that people get stuck in their head around this, these yeah, kind of and ideas. If, and if you so, think I think like, that's a really go on. Sorry, no, I was just going to say, if you think in, in terms of like even ten thousand dollars, if you're sort of capitalizing that into a ninety percent loan, you're realistically only paying an extra grand out of pocket, and the rest of it gets capitalized in your loan. Obviously, there's like repayments that go on top of that as well that um, increase your holding costs but in terms of what's coming out your pocket sometimes it's you know somewhere between a grand or two grand so it seems it seems yeah yeah it'd be a real shame that's such a good point that's such a good point because people look at the the total number and maybe it's 20 grand right maybe it's 20 grand difference right and so they're going oh my god that's twenty thousand dollars that i've got to spend or i'm going to lose or it's twenty thousand dollars when in actuality, based on whatever your loan condition is, right, that could either be on a 90% LBR loan, that could be $2,000, or on an 80% LBR loan, that could be $4,000. And so the real actual question is not 20, it's two or four. And it's like, would you pay another two or $4,000 to secure the deal? That is such a good point to make and really, really uh, valuable and prescient. So good one. Uh, what other tips would you give people to buy in the current market successfully? I guess the flip side of the first point is um, you want to be able to look past the fluff. So so you want to pay market value for an asset that's got all the bells and whistles and you know has all the demand, but don't be afraid to look at the assets that don't have all these things and might require a lick of paint or might have a tenant in there already because that's probably where you're going to get your, your under market value or you're going to get your better deals because it does reduce the uh, the demand pool, particularly having a tenant in the property. You obviously, you're cutting out the owner-occupier pool there. And then you're also, if it's under market rent, a lot of investors won't even look at it because high interest rates at the moment, people are chasing yields. If you've got the ability to sort of, to wear some of those um, additional holding costs for a certain period of time, I think you're putting yourself in a position of getting really strong long-term growth 
for a, like a you know six month sacrifice of um, of a little bit of rental income. Yeah, I love that. So you're not quite talking about buying the worst property in the best street because that would be like specifically trying to look for <laughs> ones that are that are knackered. But you're basically saying don't be turned away if it isn't shiny and new on the front side. And if you, in fact, if you're prepared to put in a little bit of elbow, elbow grease, which you won't actually need to do because you can just get contractors and stuff to do it. But if you're prepared to kind of look past that, look at what look at what it can be, not necessarily what it is, you can start to unlock some better potential. Is that kind of a good summary? Yeah, yeah. It's definitely not the worst house in the best street sort of old adage. It's more of like the property that has all the correct fundamentals still, but just has a couple of little little issues with it that might sort of reduce the the demand on the on that specific property. Yeah, love it. Love it. Okay, cool. So that's two tips. I believe you've got a few more. What's the next one? Yeah, so I sort of mentioned it before, but um, don't get caught out chasing the gross yields. And that's sort of like, a, I guess, a two-parter. So you can get caught out chasing gross yields. Obviously, gross yields, your your top-end figure. So a lot of places, particularly in northern Queensland, you can get really strong gross yields or even like certain different assets, asset classes as well. So for instance, a duplex might have really good gross yield. But if you're not doing the research and not checking what the, the net yield of that property is going to be, you might be putting your portfolio in an in a inferior position than if you were to buy a um, you know superior asset, but with lower holding costs. So for example, a duplex might be 7% gross yield, but once you factor in the rates and the insurance, it might give you maybe a 3% net yield. Whereas you could buy something in a different part of Australia with lower holding costs that might be a single family home, probably more uh, more demand for owner occupiers, better growth potential, and it gives you a similar net yield because it has the lower holding costs. Mm, love that. Speaking of yields, before we get on to the kind of like a couple more tips for buying in the current market, what kind of yields are you seeing in the current market? Like in the range that we're buying in, what is that looking like? What optics could you give the the average investor out there? Yeah, so I guess as like a general position, somewhere between four and a half to six and a half is um, where majority of the properties we're buying in sit. Different areas and different LGAs have different averages, so it's hard to sort of have a blanket rule. But yeah, I'd say that's the um, the sweet spot. Somewhere in, in the mid fives is where we'd find majority of our properties. What's the highest yield property you've seen that we've secured recently? Ooh, I heard of a, um, I think it was a nine and a half or 10 percenter in um, a suburb that we recently purchased. I think it might have been a single a single family home with a granny flat and it. So it was sort of a dual income property. But yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a 10 percenter. That was about the best one I've seen actually. Oh, spicy that's spicy i mean yeah. anyone would love that that's real low awesome. holding costs as that's well so that'd be an absolute corker oh man that's awesome so okay so it's still possible but pretty unlikely that most people are going to be able to secure those kind of yeah uh, they're rare as hen's teeth i'm i'm going to ask a question when we find properties like that why don't the dash dot team just keep them for themselves no we do you guys can imagine the whole team I can imagine the whole team just going, Whoa. so uh, yeah, is it like, talk to me about that. Like why, why and how, and don't you guys just go and scoop up all the best ones? Because it's a good question to ask. Yeah, no, no, I think everyone, everyone at Dashdot's super on board with the purpose of the company, which is to, you know, achieve brilliance for our clients. So when we see those properties, I think our first instincts, although it is nice to think, you know, oh, I could just grab that one, but no, it's it's very much trying to achieve our clients' goals and putting them in the best position to achieve what they're after. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. And it's true. Like, it is true. It's like the, the, there's far more joy to be gained by by sharing that value with other people than it is than keeping it to yourself. I think like you actually, if you think it through, yeah, maybe you could keep that deal and that'd be nice, but imagine how good you're going to feel knowing that you've changed somebody else's life by helping that get that in there. It's like, it's a pretty powerful move, so- 
Yeah. I like that. I think what's cool, man. I think what's so we've cool covered three well. tips. We've oh, covered sorry. three tips so far. So you go, you go, you go, Ollie. I was going to say, I think it's cool as well. What happens is in, in our team meetings and everything, we get to see the results of our clients as well. So it's really awesome seeing those deals sort of, you see them on paper when they come through to us, but then seeing them in real life when they go to our clients and seeing the impact it has on our clients' lives is really cool. Love that. Love that. Awesome. So we've covered three points. So the first one is don't be afraid to pay market value for a top quality asset. Second point is try and look past the fluff. The third point is don't get caught out chasing gross yield which is a good tip, particularly in the current environment. What other, what other tips have you got? Yeah, so this is a big one. I think we briefly touched on it before as well, but it's don't let your personal biases blind you. I think a lot of people, like we discussed before, have this set idea that their properties need to be uh, where they want to live. But realistically, the best growth areas at the moment are in places that, you know, not that where people do want to live, but maybe not the type of person that's buying the property as an institutional investor, right? So you've got to be able to look past stereotypes of suburbs that maybe get passed around on the internet um, and you have to look past what you know your friends and stuff will tell you about certain suburbs where they live or even sometimes what certain agents will tell you about suburbs that you're buying in so a lot of people will tell you negative things about certain areas but as long as the data is pointing you in the right direction that is the absolute crucial point and then as long as you're sort of doing the risk mitigation in terms of street level uh, selection I think that's super important. Awesome love that. Yeah, and it's one of those things. It's like the amount of times the ugly duckling suburb, so to speak, has gone on to become the superstar is, you know, phenomenal. Even I remember when I was living in Melbourne, it was like going, it was going in a westerly trend. There was all these like suburbs which were like, oh, these are the dingy suburbs, and then progressively they all became, you know, million dollar plus suburbs. So you can kind of follow that trend as well, and particularly if you can find um, areas which are on the on the cusp of some kind of a gentrification, you know, where they're potentially still have that stigma, potentially, which is, I think is a good thing because when you get in and it's still got the stigma, that's a great time to buy. That's usually when you can get the most amount of value in a location, particularly if you can see where that location is going because then you're going to be able to see the potential. If you can get in early, it's like buying, you know, it's like buying Tesla before it had sold any cars. You know, like you might be like, oh my God, this is a bit sketchy. Now you'd be, you know, a squillionaire. So I think that's a great uh, great tip as well, particularly about parking your personal bias and looking at it from an investment perspective and looking at looking at the data, looking at the evidence and making an informed and intelligent decision, not just a, a decision based on your feelings and your emotions and all of that kind of stuff. I mean, quite frankly, I've, you know, we don't go to any of our investment properties by choice. I don't like we're not sitting there analyzing areas. We're like, how are they performing? What's the performance of the assets and how how do we read the data? So I think that's a good tip. Final tip. Ollie, Final what tip. Have you got? is that strong relationships are the key to opportunities. So what I think is really, really important in terms of what we do as analysts at the company is we have really strong relationships with um, with agents in the areas that we're buying. What that does is open up off-market opportunities and it opens up pre-market opportunities where, like I said before, and like kind of like what we we're mentioning with the personal bias thing and the ugly duckling suburbs, like demand, growth is driven by demand, right? So the places that you're buying in tend to have a lot of demand. If you're buying in the ugly duckling suburb, you're potentially getting in before that demand hits. If you're buying in an area that does have a lot of demand, getting in and becoming friendly with an agent and getting off market opportunities lets you have a look at those properties, do your due diligence, uh, and potentially even get a contract to the seller before it's even hit the market and that demand's been able to sort of scupper your deal. Dude, I love that. That's awesome. So... um What's what's it like talking to selling agents all the time? Like, have you got any kind of like tips on how to navigate those relationships a little bit better? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess it's di- everyone's different, right? So there's not a, a sort of blanket rule to deal with um, talking to selling agents. But I guess the main thing to remember is they're just people. Like everyone's the same. People just want to be spoken to with respect and, and a lot of honesty as well. So I think going into into negotiations open and honestly and le- leading first with um, with good intentions. You don't want to go in and try and put people offside by trying to immediately negotiate the price down. You want to try and talk to people on their level, understand a little bit about what's going on with the property, maybe why the seller's selling, maybe they want to buy a property in somewhere else and this is going to be a subject sale. They, they, all this information, although it's sort of like you're building up a relationship, but it also gives you a bit of leverage in the in the back end of the deal as well. Um, so obviously you want to go in with the right intentions. I think that's the main thing and just being open and honest. Awesome. Love it. And so broadly speaking, tell me, do you think that now's a good time to invest? And if so, why? And if not, why not? Because I know there's a lot of uh, people that are sitting on the fence at the moment. They're feeling a little bit uncertain. Consumer sentiment is at its lowest level since COVID. Interest rates have just gone, as as we record this, interest rates have just gone up again. So there's a lot of reasons for people to be sitting there, you know, concerned. And maybe that's valid. And I'd love to get your opinion on that and also your validation around your thinking. So do you think it's a good, currently a good time to invest? I do. I think there's a lot of really good opportunities out there in the market still. Like I mentioned before, I think there's a lot of opportunity in the sort of more affluent areas of affordable suburbs. I think there's a lot of demand that is, uh, sorry, a lot of, um, because of the stock restraint, I think there's a lot of market forces in play. Um, and I think it's going to be in play for a, a you know prolonged period of time. I don't see that changing anytime soon. I don't see uh, vacancy rates increasing anytime soon. So I think that all the market forces, well, in, in the areas that we operate in at least, are pushing in the right direction for further growth. So that's my, I guess, broad overarching opinion, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Love it. Ollie, this has been a really great episode. I think we've covered a lot of ground, a bit of an update on what's currently going on in the market and some genuinely good advice, five practical tips to invest in the current market. So it's been super useful. Um, Thank you for your time. And I'm looking forward to having you on again uh, to talk about what is happening in the market and how people can successfully invest. So thank you very much. Thanks for having me on, mate. Awesome.